only taken what three, nearly three weeks, but you'll be glad all to know we finally are going to talk about Saracens. Uh, we left it as long as we possibly could get away with it, uh, mainly because we are just inept in terms of actually organising ourselves. But uh, Scrub and Scrubby is back. Finally, we are going to look back on, on the European season and we are going to chew into Saracens. We know we're a little bit late to the party, but we've never let that stop us before, so we're going to keep going now. Um, before we get going, I just want to give a little shout out to uh, uh, to Neil, to, to Christie's Christie's da. He's a bit, a bit a bit under the weather recently. Yeah, he's been around the weather, um, but uh, he's doing a lot better. And uh, if he's listening to this, which I was saying to you beforehand, there's not 100 percent chance he will be, but uh, hopefully he is. And uh, yeah, me obviously, obviously as his son, I send him best wishes. But I was, you know, there with him when it was, it was all going down. But he's, uh, yeah, he's doing a lot better. And I appreciate, it. I appreciate your support, lads. Uh, cheers, cheers to you, Neil. Hopefully you're. Hopefully you're well on the road to recovery. That obviously introducing himself was uh, was Christy O'Brien, and on the other side, uh, we're delighted to this week welcome Nick White to the pod, um, because Tom Hitchner has grown a rather magnificent moustache. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I will take both of those things. Nick White is a all right looking man, and um, thank you for the comment on the mode. I do think you could grow facial hair as well, but you, you've proven me well wrong. He's always had well, a very I mean, kind of flaky beard. Yeah, well, I've had like what three and a half weeks as well to perfect it. So this is like this is this is the pinnacle. Yeah. What's going on like that. Well, that, well, it's a fine thing. So I'm I'm not gonna not gonna mock you for it. Cause it's a, it's a good thing. We'll we'll find a photo that we can tweet out at some point when it's on on the last day before you shave it. Send us a photo. We'll we'll let people know. The job you've done on it, but yeah. Especially actually, Tom's got still got the similar hairstyle for Nick White as well, so it's all a little bit, little bit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you probably weren't as good a nine as him, but. Debate. Well, you're allowed to disagree, obviously, but. Yeah, six uh, side player probably. We have dinner, Christoph. Uh, steak stir fry. Nice. He's Sorry, he's definitely a Surrey man, isn't he? With our job listeners, with our jo- current job listeners, we now have time to mess around in a podcast studio for three hours. We have, uh, we have the, we have yeah. nine to five. We're in like many of our cases, the eight to. Yeah, the eight, eight till X. Yeah. Um. Right. Anyway, let's. In the interest of that. Sort of implied expediency. Let's let's jump straight into it. Champions Cup weekend. Obviously, we missed the first weekend, but we're here for the second one. So we're you know I count that as some kind of a win. But let's dig into it. Uh, we're going to start in pool one, and I think we're probably starting at the game of the weekend, aren't we? If we're honest. Um, Good to Saints. Tom's Tom's mighty army went down to Tre- Benetton Treviso, who are. I would argue probably the most improved side in Northern Hemisphere probably in the last couple of years. Mm. Between, between them and Bristol Bears, I'd argue probably. But um, yeah, uh, Treviso actually dominated a lot of the game. Uh, but they, but ultimately, nerves of steel from Dan Bigger and a really impressive uh, comeback late in the second half handed Northampton the win, 35-32. And Tom, you've written on the pod doc here that sort of Saints got out of jail, but... 
I, mean, I, I have seen what I've seen about the game, but was it a genuine get out of jail or did Saints deserve it for the comeback they put together? Um, it felt like that, uh, especially after half an hour when Treviso went, I don't know, 20 points up to seven. We were staring down the barrel. Um, we got a crucial score, um, <clears throat> excuse me, just on half time through Cobus, which sort of put us within, within seven. But I was really impressed with Treviso because... I said off air that the first time we draw an Italian team in years and they're actually quite good, as you said, <laughs> as you said, Jack, they have improved a lot. Um, but yeah, I, if this was a game of football, you'd say a draw was a fair result, but it's not as fine margins as rugby. And like you said, bigger stepped up with a, a tough kick to, to win it. Um, I thought we had the rub of a green on a few refereeing decisions. The only slight home one, you may be seen them given for blocking. Um, that was crucial to scoring a try. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chris Boy called this the worst performance of our season so far, and it's hard to argue, but, you know, we, we're still two from two in a, in a tough pool. Um, beat, Lens, beat Leon the week before, who were top of the, the top 14. So it's, if that's the worst performance of the season, I'll take it. Yeah, you definitely would. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very much as you said that, you can't argue with two for two, especially in a pool where, where they're up against Leinster. They've got to be at their best uh, to get out of it uh, by hook or by crook. But I think it was another game that was another testament to the uh, to the big game nerves of Dan Bigger because he was central to the comeback. He slotted a penalty five minutes into overtime to win it and you know shows a lot of, of what he brings to a team in terms of his mental mental toughness. Yeah, um, there's a lovely little offload out the back as well for the opening try to Collins. Um, we have missed him. James Grayson is playing in a an A game tonight. Um, he's the uh, the the young talent coming through, but bigger is just next level in this team. And you know, to have a playmaker like that with all these young guns around him, it's um, it's exciting. Um, we are a bit like, I've said it before, we are a bit like Kevin King's Newcastle. We seem to be a case of we'll just score one more try than you, you know, rather than worry about the fence. That's the finish though, but yeah. It's exciting to watch. That's, that's the least thing yeah, you can tell. And I mean, like, Treviso were just um, a bit unbelievable, so from what the, from the highlights I saw of them and just the way they play and, you know, I don't think maybe us, uh, we're obviously very premiership English rugby dom- um, sort of focused and we've heard, you know, good things about Treviso and they were very close to making out the Challenge Cup last season. Oh, their group, sorry. Very close to getting to the quarterfinals of the um, Pro 14 and now we've seen in the flesh just how much of an issue they can be and, and it makes for me just all the more baffling when they've, you know, you saw Italy be a bit insipid in um, in the World Cup against the big teams, why they can't translate that European expertise. And I know they've got players like Ioani on the wing who do add that sort of a bit of some of hemisphere flair. Um, but yeah, it just makes me wonder sort of why Italy can't bring it all together. And it sort of thinks if you pick the, you know, the, Z- the uh, Benetton team, would you get better, would you get better results up in international or get the coaching staff involved in sort of a Jamie Joseph way? But yeah, this is. I mean, this is a very impressive by both teams. Treviso to make it so close against the Premiership with the you know, leaders, and uh, Treviso um, it just to you know be competing, and obviously Saints to grind out the win 
when they need to and, um, and anyway they have to and that sort of seems to be the way that they've gone this season they're just getting the win they're picking up the wins and they're doing it you know with a lot of flair and you know a lot of quality yeah I think you can't argue with that but obviously we look at the other game in this pool uh, Leon and Leinster we talked about you know, Leon setting the pace in the top 14 Leinster are you know they're a, they're a big dog in Europe we know that um, ultimately they clashed uh, in Lyon, finished 13-3 to Leinster, which, you know, despite the fact it was a pretty poor game and not the most convincing scoreline ever for Leinster, still represents a massive result going away to top 14 pace setters and winning, which we've, we've seen plenty of times in Europe uh, over the last few years that any win away in France has got to be applauded because uh, they don't come all that often. Uh, Leinster got the job done out there you say it wasn't a fantastic game it won't live long in anyone's memory particularly I wouldn't think but you know they're two from two they've played two very good sides and you just you can't ever bet against them getting to another final because no. they just know how to win win the big games and get through knockout rugby it sets up a really tasty back to back week I'd say and I remember that I remember the um I think that was one a few years ago and it's when Leinster came to Franklin's Gardens and Bo Driscoll had an absolute stunner of a game, he was throwing it through the legs. Um that seems like I mean absolutely monumental back to back game and it could be really crucial to sort of deciding who gets through as pool winners, which obviously in this competition is just such an important thing to be doing. Yeah, I mean start two from two as you say, if we go down twice to Leinster, I can't see us getting a runner-up spot um, the way the tournament is. But yeah, Leinster did enough. They were impressive. Um, I thought Max Deegan was good. He got on the score sheet. A uh, 22-year-old, I think he is, number eight. Um, but yeah, that, I, it'd be a fool to bet against Leinster getting into the next round. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what we're about them. I think it's very much uh, as you were for them. Northampton and Leinster both nine points from two games and very much looking at the front runners if they keep their respective form going. I mean, you've got to look at Northampton probably winning one of those home and away games against Leinster to um uh, to have the best chance of going through as one of the uh, one of the best runners up. But uh, we've seen so often that maybe if even if they lose both, but if they got a, you know, a couple of losing bonus points somewhere that they that they maybe could still sneak through. Uh, but that's shaping up to be a very intriguing battle. Pool two, um, uh, extra slightly defying, you know, their previous European track record and actually really starting to dominate this group. Thought they were really impressive uh, winning in La Rochelle last week, which I think was their best performance of the season. They weren't quite as good this time around, but still got the job done, 34-18 over Glasgow. Obviously, the... Um, uh, the bit, the big subplot here was was Stuart Hogg's first game against Glasgow since leaving. He was fine, but wasn't he wasn't really setting the game alight. Uh, but he didn't particularly need to. I think the big talking point for me that came out of it was that both, well, Jack Noll to a certain extent, but particularly for me, Henry Slade has come back from the World Cup really looking like he's got a point to prove, and mm. he's playing some really really good rugby, but. And if, I suppose if Chiefs are going to go deep in Europe, then you know they're going to have to hope that that continues. And actually linked to Stuart Hogg, it might have something to do with the fact how much workload they've had. I think Jack Noel played, was it 30 minutes in the end or 20 minutes of the whole of the World Cup for England? Came off the bench against Argentina, scored a try, but that was his tournament done. 
Um, Henry Slade had, again, a lot more of a limited schedule, came off the bench sort of for the semis and the final, didn't play a whole lot on the group stages. Stuart Holt was sort of front and centre in most of Scotland's games. I know they only got through to the pool stages, but I think it's going to be a common theme this season. Those regular starters in the World Cup are just going to find it harder as the season goes on. And you're obviously going to see a different performance. You're going to see, you know, you're going to see them go down with injuries. And that's just a completely natural thing because the World Cup is just such a high intensity thing. But, I mean, second half, Exeter were just a completely, um, were really, really impressive. And I think this might be the season where they can just break that European hump. And I think they can... Uh, I think they go far. I think semi-finals for them, for me, has got to be a minimum for this team at the moment. Guessing where they are, they've made, they've won premierships, they've got to premiership finals. This is the next step they need to take now. Yeah, um, it should be constant win that group definitely. Um, <clears throat> I thought Joe Simmons had a good game as well. This place kicking, but also sort of controlling the game. It was a slow start from Exeter, as you said, Jack, but. Um, yeah, they they went through the gears and uh, got the job done. Um, bonus point win as well. I think it's I think people underestimate the importance of bonus point wins in Europe at home, especially. Um, mm. Yeah, that fourth try is crucial because it does come down to even points difference or one or two points, not just for winning the group but second place. So, yeah, it, uh, very good performance from them. Yeah, uh, and I think their forward pack starting to look. Uh, look more ominous again. They're starting to get a bit more of that consistency back up front. I would want to have a quick word on Sam Simmons because I think I've heard a lot of people sort of say post-World Cup, is this the time that Simmons goes and gets his England jersey back? But I wanted to just put it to you guys as a quick answer. Do you think the manner of England's World Cup final defeat is a bit of a death knell for his international hopes? Because Jones's problem with Sam Simmons has always been that he isn't quite big enough and physical enough for the kind of back row player he wants. And that is the that's kind of the area that England were particularly shown up in against South Africa. So I just wonder if the manner in which they lost that game might might be a, a bit of a death knell for, for his European hopes, but for his sorry uh, for his England hopes. I don't know what you guys think, but um, I don't know, I'd Jones had did mention that, you know, he is going to look to change it up in the Six Nations. And I think the people he had heavily relied on, he's going to give a little bit of a break to. I mean, I mean, I mean God knows what's going to happen with all these Saracens players, what their role this season is going to be, whether how many, how many of them might have to let be let go of the club, find somewhere else to play, not play for the rest of the season. We don't really... It's a bit up in the air what's going on with them. But yeah, I mean, if he keeps playing the way he does, there's no reason he can't because Eddie's picked him before. He started games for England before. He, he just got unfortunately injured at the wrong time. Um, but yeah, I see. I don't see why not. Guessing Jones has mentioned he's looking to freshen up the squad. There's all the chance Sam Simmons could um, get sneak in there again. I've, I've always thought Sam Simmons is a fantastic player. Yes, he doesn't have that smash through people necessarily, but... For a man his size, the pace he has and that sort of dynamism, I, I, I've always rated him. And, and I know he came in under Jones for a bit and then got the, the uh, successive injuries. But yeah, why not? I mean, back row is not a sort of worry for England, I suppose. But your mate, uh, Christy Benno, coming through, he's, he's having yeah. a fine season as well. Um, I think Rugby Pass have spoken about him giving Tom Curry a bit of a run for his money. But... Might be wishful thinking at the moment, but yeah, 
back to Sam Simmons. It's great to see him back, and he's I've always rated him. He's, he's a great player. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's entirely fair. But you know, we'll have to obviously see what Eddie chooses to do. There will be changes. Whether whether Simmons ends up being one of them is is going to be the question. Uh, the other game in that pool, uh, La Rochelle fell to their second defeat on the trot. They went over to Sale and lost twenty five to fifteen. Uh, given how they played last year in Europe, especially, I've been I've been disappointed with La Rochelle uh, so far. But one guy that we do need to give a mention to on that account is Vonzel Rates. We could, we kind of talked about him a bit last year when La Rochelle were going really good guns. Uh, he's a fantastic player. He's probably given La Rochelle their best attacking moments both last week against Exeter and this week uh, with a really great try. But he's only one man, unfortunately. And you know, I, I think Sale looks largely comfortable for most of the game. They won it, you know, say twenty-five to fifteen in the end. Well, it could have been more if they hadn't. Well, they were denied. We, obviously, we need to the way we just say it, it was a great move. Uh, it finished by Ashton. There was they did, were denied it due to a forward pass, but frankly, the pass was so forward it was almost a kick. Because honestly, I mean, it, was, it was it was brilliant, and the supporting lines were unbelievable. But yeah, it's one of the shame. Uh, Robbie's gone soft in my opinion after that. No, forward pass aren't into the even not forward passes anymore. It's disgraceful. It was about a forty-five degree angle. Oh, yeah. The other thing I find it weird is the ref didn't. The ref could say all he likes, like, "Oh yeah, we're checking it, we're checking it." He didn't. They kicked <laughs> it. They're about to start the game again, and then Tim yeah, was like, was "Oh, that, I, I felt for sale on that one." But I think, you know, as much as justice was done in the sense mm. that it was a very forward pass, it just, yeah, the whole thing was a bit chaotic uh, with the referees in that situation. Uh, one thing they weren't chaotic on and did get right though was the, um, in my opinion at least, was the was the red cards. So Definitely. Uh, for, well, yeah. even in the match report, it was described as an alleged eye gouge. I don't think there's much alleged about it, is there? No, you can see him grab his face yeah. and put his fingers in his eyes. It was, it's, what is it with French teams at the moment? And just absolute implosions. Because yeah. we're, we yeah. we're talking about it in the Montpellier game as well, but there was an identical Vahamina elbow. Um, but yeah, it was a clear eye gouge. I don't know what... Larissa were pretty sort of niggly and dirty throughout this game. There was a stamp as well that um, it could have been seeing a card from Jeremy Sinzel, um, but the referee was feeling lenient on that one. He was trying to like sort of clear out with his feet, but he was repeatedly stamping on, I think, Curry's ankle. Um, yeah. But yeah, a clear eye gouge, definitely right decision. Uh, agreed. But, you know, sale go on. We've heard there's news coming out of Rocky Pass today. Uh, that they're in negotiations with Leonie Nakarawa, which mm. you know is if they can put this all together, it only will serve to strengthen what is already a very, very tasty looking roster for sale. Um, obviously, because these players don't come cheap, so we've got to. I think we're not going to we're not accusing anyone of anything here, but just with what's happened to Saracens recently in the background, clubs have got to be whiter than white. So yeah, you just got to. Hope that they're at least being careful. Um, well, Steve, I'm sorry, I was just quickly add, Steve Diamond's been very, uh, very vocal on it. So you'd think they'd be what well, they would be whiter than white, as you said, Jack. Well, you'd hope so. Yeah. Egg, egg, on, egg on his face if they aren't. Mm. Uh, right. Uh, Ulster against Claremont in pool three. Uh, another one which had a argument to be game of the weekend. A fantastic performance by Ulster. We know that they're. They're very good at home at uh, Ravenhill. 
but they did get there. They got the job done 18-13 over Claremont, who we were absolutely raving about last week uh, after they put Quinns to the sword. Uh, Ulster's effort summed up by a brilliant individual score from, uh, from John Cooney, I, who's someone I personally thought was very unlucky to miss out on Ireland's World Cup squad, especially since he can cover nine or ten. I thought he was he was hard done by. Claremont were clearly not at their best and they're still missing a number of players after World Cup duty. But, you know, I just want to, the, the main focus this one, we'll look at Ulster and just go, how far are they capable of going? Because they won at the rec last weekend, which is not an easy place to win by any means. Uh, and now they've backed it up by beating one of the best teams in Europe on their own patch. So, you know, they've clearly got credentials. They've got some great players, Cooney, Stockdale, yeah, those uh, those kind of guys. So, yeah, I'll throw them to you. How far can they go? They always seem to scrap their way to quarterfinals, Ulster. It's, it's when they get to those later positions, as we famously saw last year with uh, Jacob Stockdale, whether they come up a bit short. But, I mean, yeah, this is very impressive. We always think, you know, especially in this group, you think Claremont are just going to steamroll everyone. And especially after last week, the way they dispatched the Quins, you think, also had a even at home little chance but yeah they were just absolutely brilliant again and um yeah it, it really opens up the group because with the back-to-back against harlequins i went back us i'd say we're definitely second favorites but even if we, we grab one win against them uh you never you never know it could be quite a wide open this could be the group where only one team gets through as pool winners because everyone i suspect everyone's going to ch- chip away uh, away everyone and then as we said if Bath have a good performance at home no reason they couldn't maybe turn over Claremont like Ulster did here yeah, yeah. yeah. Thomas yeah no I was just going to say um, I think when they go away to Claremont that's going to be the big ask um, but yeah it was a sensational try by Cooney I, I love I love a good old fashioned chip chase and gather which is what he did Um yeah, and he's a great goalkeeper as well. So he's a cracking player. And I agree with you. I think he should have gone to the World Cup, but, you know, if puts some maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then look at the other side of that pool. Uh, we mentioned Quinns already. Uh, they ultimately, I do think, probably ground out is the best way of putting it. A 15 9 win against Bath. Who normally yeah. those kind of games tend to happen when Bath are playing at home, but this one was at the stoop. Uh, I'll, I'll, much, needed, much needed, oh, really. Yeah, well, much needed indeed after a damaging loss last weekend uh, in Claremont. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it with you, Christoph. So where, where do Quinns sit at the moment, uh, and then and how do they how do they kick on? Because they're already looking very much kind of up against it to get through this group with the start Ulster of May. Yeah, I mean, you, I think from a Quinn's perspective, you go into that, I've forgotten if we're playing away or we're playing at home against Ulster, and if we don't get a result from that, the Champions Cup's pretty much a lost cause, and then you, you're better off focusing on the on the Premiership. Um, yeah, I'm just not too confident about this team. I had really high hopes at the start of the season. I thought we'd be in top the top four by now. I thought we'd be with everyone struggling with World Cup absentees, I thought we'd be effective relatively little, especially with the talent that we've brought in. But it doesn't seem quite to be working. Um, I'm happy, obviously, but I'm happy to give Gustin a chance to turn around and he'll know more than anyone else the importance of it. We've got Marler back. We've got Sinclair back. I think those two are going to be massive for us just as the cornerstone to build for the team to build around. Um, 
maybe we're lacking a little bit of muscle up front. That's always traditionally been our strong uh, worst asset. If it get, if it kicks us on for a, a little winning streak, I'm up. Yeah, but I don't care how we get them. I don't care if it's just the the three points we have to take. Yeah. yeah. So I think say it, it's a tough ask for them to get out of that group. They'll need results to go their way, but there's nothing to say that they can't. Um, no. I think we can roll back out, but yeah. 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 Queens have got out, so I would agree. Um, right, and on to pool four. Saracens returning home, the first home game in Europe this season. Uh, and this was a day that I thought they uh, they very much sort of put the the problems of the of the recent week to one side and looked very much like the Saracens that we know. Still missing a few of their World Cup players, but there were plenty of them back this weekend. Uh, you had Mako, you had Jamie George, uh, Elliot Daly debuted at fullback, and people still seem to think Elliot Daly is a fullback, but I'm not going into that now. Um, uh, and George Cruz was back in. These kind of guys obviously made a bit of a difference to them. Absolutely thumped Ospreys, 44-3 as comprehensive as you like and well I think we I think it's become fairly clear from quite early on that Ospreys are the weakest team in probably I'm arguing the Champions Cup this year uh, yeah. they do look a little class behind us and they they haven't had it easy with the group they've been given three of whom were were uh, well no it was two two semi-finalists and a quarter-finalist from last year but yeah, so yeah. it's hard to read too much into that from Saracens. But, you know, is we talk about them sort of being out of the running for the Premiership now. They've had this points deduction and everything. But, you know, they can still win Europe if they, they keep their team on the park. So I still probably wouldn't bet against them doing just that. It's going to be so interesting for them now. Where How much of an onus will they piss on it? Or will they just say, we, that's our Premiership survival is the most important thing? And let's see if we if we win the games against Europe, so be it. But we got to focus on it. It's gonna it creates such a fascinating fascinating dynamic with them in terms of how do the coaches manage these players? Again, like I said earlier, how many of them will have to leave? Um, will it be at the end of the season? Will it have to be during? Um, commentator Alastair Eakin was saying on uh, Twitter today, man, there's sort of a bit more to the story about where these players could end up. And he said, sort of, it's not, it's definitely not the end of the story from what he's been hearing. So, in fact, it's a really fascinating situation. And, uh, but I mean, for the time being, sticking to the rugby field, you've got Saracens at home against Ospreys. Ospreys, you're not, James Hook's not going to do the business these days at age 102. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's no surprise you're going to get a bit of a tank against a, yeah, a Saris team that would have been Smarting after last week. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah. Um, Segan's an absolute flyer on the wing. Um, he's he's electric. He back to brace, I think. Um, I was just want to say, did you see the sort of the first try where Tom Whiteley sort of the ball went to ground and he sort of volleyed it um, yeah. to out on the wing? That was, was, that, like the first, weird... was that for Sagan's first try, wasn't it? You see, kind of yeah, he hook shotted it over to Daly, who put who put Sagan in. But it was like, it wasn't like, usually you just sort of fly hack it forward, but you just kind of fly hacked it sideways straight to Daly, who put in Segan. That it was looked, weird. It looked great, don't get me wrong. But, it um, did look good. Yeah, it was good. Among the strangers. Right if I did that with my right foot, I'd slice it into my own, you know, 22 from that position and they'd go to school. But, you know. Do a full <laughs> yeah. boxies. Do a full boxies. 
I just I just do spaghetti yato and just air shot it completely. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the other side of that group, another game, another fantastic game for this weekend actually. Munster against Racing, uh, ultimately a twenty-one all draw, and and I've got to say that Racing scored some really lovely tries. Uh, they scored three very very nice tries indeed. Highlight one was Finn Russell uh, at, the, at the start, little little grubber through for himself, not make the defender. And just strolled over. Teddy Thomas had a really good individual try, and then Russell was really good again in putting him off away. But credit to Munster, they stayed with them. And I think it's a bizarre situation where you play Racing and are disappointed not to come away with all three points, but they really should have done. Former Saintsman JJ Hanrahan slightly fluffed his lines a little bit, unfortunately, with a missed drop goal in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, for 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 a fly half, he was sort of what. 15 metres away, straight in front. I know it's like the last play of the game and there's a lot of pressure, but he really shanked that drop goal and they, Munster probably should have walked away with a win. Um, but yeah, you're right, Jack. Finn Russell was uh, majestic as he always is. That that break and inside ball to uh, one him off for the try was brilliant. Um, Munster sort of stuck in there and um, yeah, I, I can't choose between these three teams. It depends what Sarri's mm. doing going forwards. Like Chrissy said, in Premiership and Champions Cup because Australia's are going to be the whipping boys, so that's irrelevant that result in a way. So, you know, I, if, yeah, Porsche, I'd probably say Racing to come out of this group, but um, yeah, it's going to be some cracking games going forward, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think the bigger point of it is that there can only be one best uh, best second place finisher coming out of this group, so one of those three is not going to make it. So, I think yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all shakes out. And last pool, we have got. Run through these fairly quickly because they're not most on our radar. Toulouse uh, 32, Connett 17. Uh, fair play to Connett. They stuck in really well for a lot of that game. Um, and, you know, it looked like they could have pulled off a shock. They were within a point with about, you know, 15 minutes to go. But Toulouse just showed the quality. They pulled away and they, you know, they look again among the favourites to go far in the competition after making the, uh, making the semi-final last year. Uh, I don't, there's not much to say on that really. And then Montpellier 30, Gloucester 27. Another game that Gloucester will look at and slightly think that they let go because mm. they, you know, they had plenty to say in the game. But we we mentioned it earlier. Jacques Duplessis going full Varmahina, just absolutely chopping someone in the middle of a mall. Red card, yeah. correct call. And <laughs> you just don't know where French teams keep finding these complete brain fades. It, it, it is bizarre, isn't it? Like sort of. In the space of what uh, a month, there's these three blatant, obvious acts of foul play. It's just really strange. But you know, credit to Montpellier, they rallied. They probably did enough in the early, in the first half before that red card to win the game. You know, they went into an early lead. Um, like Gloucester stuck in it and maybe could have snuck something. Uh, my workmate's brother Lloyd Evans getting a run out. I remember telling you about that. For listeners that don't know, I work with Lloyd Evans' brother. He was playing at 10 for Gloucester. Um, actually, his parents went over to see it, so I'm lucky for them, I suppose. But a nice weekend in, away in Montpellier, at least. I um, wouldn't complain, would you? No. And, and Lloyd Evans actually played quite well. You know, he made a break and set up Callum Brady's try. So, yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to be enough for Gloucester at this stage, but, you know, who knows? They could sneak a second place. Yeah, um, I think that wraps up the Champions Cup. Move on fairly swiftly. We'll just quickly run through the Challenge Cup, uh, the big results. Uh, game of the Challenge Cup 
week, I would probably argue, was Bristol winning 36-0 uh, away against Breve. They've started the, the Challenge Cup incredibly well and actually, don't know what you lads think, but I, I would personally have them down as one of the favourites to go and win it. Yeah, yeah. Given I see them as sort of like a Wolves-type role, perhaps, this, in the Europa League this season. Yeah, and, and given that the Challenge Cup is, is shorn of a team like they had with Claremont last year who were just going to win it from the word go, and everyone knew that. Um, they look really, really good. Um, Zebra 12, Stavron say 13. I also want to pull out in the same group. I just think, you know, it's commendable to see Zebra pull out these kind of performances in Europe. Toulon, Toulon sorry, won 17-16 at home against Scarlets. And I think that's been a, something we've slightly ignored is actually the slightly dramatic decline of Toulon. Mm. Actually, the, the, this aura of invincibility they had in the uh, in the sort of Wilkinson and Gitto era has completely disappeared. Um, it all for me, it all seemed to start with that Julian Savia nonsense from last year, and then mm. suddenly they fell off the fell off the map. So, I mean, I, I don't want to be harsh on the guy, but I mean, I can't I can't feel too sympathetic for Murad Bujalal. I think he brings it on himself. But there you go. Um, yeah, and just so just running through, uh, Pool One, Worcester in second place at the moment behind uh, New England Dragons, uh, one win from one, one win from two. Uh, pool Two, Toulon lead London Irish, um, nine and six points respectively. Uh, Edinburgh and Bordeaux Begler are on seven points each at the top of Pool Three, with Wasps in behind them on five. Uh, Bristol, ten points from two games. Uh, they've scored a lot of points and, can, and you know, not conceded very many. Points difference of plus 74 after two games. They look like they're going to breeze through that group. Uh, and in pool five, Leicester Tigers, we haven't really mentioned them, but they're two from two. They've not been entirely convincing in either game, I wouldn't argue, but they've got wins. And I think in the situation Leicester are in, it's about getting wins and about getting confidence. So yeah, uh, you can't really argue with that. Yeah. Right, I think we will leave that there and we will be back for part two where we'll be diving into some more huge scoops and we will quickly run our rule over Saracens. We will be right back. to part two of Scrums and Scrumpy for the week and it's that it's our favourite time of week as always he doesn't look like he's about to do it you have to coach out of him Jack he's not he's not he's not performing monkey you have to convince him (laughs) because he was just staring blankly at us and it was almost like that partridge gift for him just going "Mm -hmm." Coach me out like the polar bear in last night's TV. <laughs> That's very, Fucking very Norwegian, Norwegian polar bear. There very contemporary of you. Well yeah, done. absolutely. Uh, right. We're going to kick this off in the fairly predictable place. We haven't really, obviously we've talked a lot off air about it, as you can imagine, uh, but we're going to just dip our toe into, into Saracens. Um, we're not going to waste our time talking about what's already been said because we kind of know that and everyone said every angle of it. There's two things I want to pick up on with Saracens. The first one is this. 
given that Saras has obviously you've had all these points deductions and fines given for being cap being not cap compliant over the last three seasons or whatever it was, they now claim that they are salary cap compliant for this season and have continued to claim that. And that confuses me because you look at what they've done with their squad. They've brought in Jack Singleton and Elliot Daly, two established, well, not established, but two international players. In Daly's case, established and one of the most you know, valued players in the Premiership. Haven't really lost anyone and yet are saying that they're now cap compliant. This doesn't really... I, I that confuses me. I don't know if you guys have any more insight on that than I'm getting, but yeah, I, I agree. How can they how can they possibly be cap compliant without making any changes? You know, and it's this thing I've we've said it off air, but I've said what what does this mean going forward? Do they have to the end of the season to sort their squad out in terms of the cap? You know, did, uh, you can make a fire in the middle of the season, which they have done, and a point selection, That's fine, but how long are we going to give them to? become compliant because I refuse to believe that they are despite what they say basically I agree yeah no it's 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 such a difficult one I mean I've got I'll just be retreading on stuff I've said on the pod anyway like it seems like there is more to this it like you said it seems weird that they can now suddenly be compliant compared to last year have a have they had a Sheikh who were behind the scenes of some of the players who've taken a, a, a pay cut? We don't like, you know, for a season and then they'll let them go. Like, it's just a bit of speculation, but it, it's there because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to add up. We don't have any, there's still so many, despite this sort of being leaked, there's still a lot of unanswered questions about this. How, I mean, how long was this going on for? Has it been since sort of the club sort of has this happened since? You know, 2011, since they started sort of winning trophies, how long has this sort of been in play for? It's, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And as Tom said, it's, it's just seems very odd they can stick with this team. And you'd say, even with the points deduction, and uh, now they definitely, you, would, you wouldn't expect them to go down because of the quality of the squad they've got. Yeah, I, I, think, I think everyone agrees that this, this, uh, this issue, this story is not over. Uh, and there is going to be more fallout from it as we get as we delve into sort of where they go from here. But um, the other point we really wanted to pick up was was a new angle from today, which was that Chiefs are apparently considering a legal challenge against Saracens for the financial losses uh, or the finances that they missed out on as a result of the Premiership final defeats that they've that they've suffered to Saracens. And I thought it was interesting that they that this is a thing at all, but it's worth thinking about that there is that other side to it. We've already talked about the fact that even if Saracens were stripped of their titles, that Exeter wouldn't really get anything out of that, I wouldn't think, because they're, they're too proud a club to to accept it without having earned it. But you consider the, the finances they've missed out on, it shows you that there are different levels to, to Saracens' dominance and that there's more other teams have been have been missing out on than just winning the trophies themselves. Yeah, I agree. Um well, as you'll know, Jack Tony Rowe is a pretty um, bullish character, and he's every right to feel aggrieved. Definitely. Um, I mean, whether pursuing legal action would get them anywhere, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert in that, but I like to think that there's some sort of asterisk against these Saracens wins now. You know, much like, much like you, you know, you may not take 
physical titles away from drugs cheats, but you just sort of rescind them. You know, I mean, there was an asterisk or whatever, but I don't know. It's it's a messy business, and I can can see his point because Tony Rowe's got to look after the revenue that Chiefs generates, and he feels he he he's got a, a, a legal case for loss of earnings, I would guess, and you know, income to the club. So yeah, it's it, it it's bad, and it's it's hard to sort of. I think it's going to take a couple of years for this to sort of untangle this mess in terms of not only the immediate points deductions, but as I said before, Saris to get the house in order. It's going to take a while. It's not going to be an yeah. instant. Yeah. It's going to be a rolling story for some years, I suspect. I would agree. Um, I, frankly, as much as I don't want to believe it, I wouldn't be surprised if we see other clubs uh, falling foul of, of the salary cap regulations as well, because... I, I something about me something something you know in my brain tells me that they're not the only, they are not the only ones that will that will face a bit of music for it. But because the point someone's made recently, which I do agree with, is that there's only one club in the Premiership that, as a as a club and as a business, has been making money over the last however many years, and it's been Exeter Chiefs. They're the only ones that have been, actually been making money. Every other club's been losing money. So mm. that money's, you know, the best possible bet has got to be going somewhere. I, I mean, just on Saris quickly as well, I see that there's this argument, people keep saying, like, oh, they've provided so many players for England, they've developed their players, blah, blah, blah. You can understand why they want to keep them around. But we said our fair, Jack, all the other clubs have had to make tough decisions about letting players go that you wouldn't want to let go, but you've had to, to be salary cap compliant. Saris haven't. I understand that you produce players like... Barrel, the Bonapolas, whatever, they start off on lower contracts and then they get England recognition and they get put on the big books. But the point of Sally Cup is to balance that. You know, players like Cordero or whatever or Covis Reinach with us, he's probably going to Montpellier. We want to keep them, but you can't afford it. So, you know, that's, that's part of the sport, part of the league. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's, yeah, well, I, I don't find that argument. We've been in we've been in this before. We're not gonna not gonna retread old ground with this, but I think it, it's something that will clearly come up again because there will be more stuff that comes out about this as we go. Yeah. I personally still think there is explaining to be done about these these businesses that have been under the microscope. because oh, I'm a sad git. I went into company's house uh, and had a look at the record of some of these businesses. Some of the stuff doesn't quite stack up to me. Uh, just in the sense of how simplistic their finances seem to be, and how little how little finance really seems to be to be moving across it, and it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not accusing anyone of anything particularly there because I'm I'm no great head for finance, but yeah, I know something about it just didn't quite stack up to me. But anyway, that, that's something that I think will be. We will explore later as more and more keep comes out about this, which it's which is fairly sure to do. Uh, back to rugby matters. Uh, quickly to run through a few bits of housekeeping. Uh, coaching wise, Franco Smith has been handed the uh, the top job for Italy after Conor O'Shea. Uh, it was announced he's leaving Italy, which I'm really disappointed about. We didn't sort of cover it too heavily at the time, but I'm really disappointed about that. I mean, Franco Smith uh, is he only in as the interim, uh, but you know we'll see. Have to see what they do in terms of looking for a long-term solution. But 
it's, I think it's a shame for them that they've lost Conor O'Shea, given that he was making inroads, but obviously he's resigned his post, so he's clearly felt there are there's circumstances or constraints within working in that job that he's not prepared to work under. I think reading between the lines that they wanted to bring Smith in as a head coach with O'Shea as a director of rugby and maybe, like you say, Jack, something behind the scenes about maybe reducing his role or something like that or altering his role. So, yeah, it's a shame because I think he's a great coach, O'Shea. Um, I just don't see um, how constantly changing coaches in this kind of in this kind of way with it, constantly no. messing with the coaching structure is going to help them develop. Because it seems like every time they get momentum under a coach, something goes wrong or the coach leaves or whatever it might be and they're kind of slightly back to square one again. And it's Smith, and it's not the most, I know it's only an interim, but he doesn't seem the most sort of um, outstanding appointment. You know, he's coach of a very subpar cheaters team at the moment, uh, free street cheaters. Um, yeah, I mean, let's hope that, I mean, who knows, he can surprise everyone of the Six Nations, but um, it could be one of the, let's hope it, it's sort of, this is sort of a short-term appointment so you can find someone of real quality who can, uh, yeah, really actually transform Italian rugby and get them to a more competitive place. Just quickly, I was going to say that Kieran Crowley's been at Treviso since 2016. Look at the job he's done with Treviso. Surely he'd yeah. be a shivering, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to see how that all develops as we go into the Six Nations. Um, Alan Dickens has been announced as the new coach of the England under-20s. Uh, Northampton State's defence coach uh, taking on his... Is it his first job as a head coach? He was, he's in, he was interim with us when um, uh, Jim Mallander left. But yeah, it's his first full-time role and uh, he's a fair play to him. I think he'll be good. He's been a good coach with us and, you know, all the best. Well, with it, not meaning this in a harder way as it sounds, but you know, he was Northampton State's defence coach and we've not been entirely complimentary about Saints defence. So <laughs> take from that what you will. But um, no, I'm, I'm you know good on him and I'm uh, excited to see how he goes with England under 20 side. It's, it's a good job for someone to go into in that situation because they always have an incredibly strong stock of players in the England under 20s. And I'm interested to see what he does with them. That'll be good for him. Well, you um, said, sorry, I was saying, you, you said that they're a bit, Saints are a bit like that um, Kevin Keegan Newcastle team. And if he was the fence coach, would there be like sort of a, a game in April where they had to win to stay in the top four? And I don't know, someone like. After Clerk scores from 50 metres out, he draped over the advertising boards so. of <laughs> <laughs> like Stan Collymore's just like Stan Collymore's just scored against him. He drapes himself over the advertising boards. He saved himself that embarrassment. Now, just just on this quick, this is this is to do with football, but that Mark Lawrenson in that season with Newcastle, Mark Lawrenson was brought in as a defence coach. Yeah. And Les Ferdinand said all he did was referee the five-a-side games <laughs> in training. All he did was hand out bibs and referee the five-a-side games in training. Shows oh. so how much they cared about defence as well. Yeah. We're not, yeah. We are not suggesting at all that that is all Alan's Dickens, um, Dickens <laughs> did in Saints training. But, um, yeah, anyway. So it was Mar Lawrenson, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, Laro. Right. Um, uh, uh, something with potential repercussions for uh, for England uh, is that Scott Wisemantle, who has been a really important uh, piece of the attacking uh, unit for, uh, on the co England coaching staff under Eddie Jones, uh, Wisemantle is currently believed to be in negotiations with Dave Rennie, who's obviously taken over, who will take over at the end of the season as Australia's head coach. 
which I think, by the way, is a really good appointment for Australia. I really like Dave Rennie. He's clearly done a very good job with Glasgow. And yeah, if he can get hold of someone like Scott Wisemantle, who has arguably revolutionised England's attack, uh, that you know is, is going to be a very encouraging sign for them, given that they didn't exactly have a... Attack's never been their problem to begin with, really. Yeah, it'd be a hell of a coup if they could get that in. Um, obviously, Wisemantle is an Aussie, so whether he wants to go back home and work in the Australian setup, whatever... Australia would buy their hand off for him, definitely. Yeah, I think that well, yeah. it's still a case of whether that happens or not. Uh, but we'll have to see, you know, how that all shakes out. I think it's, there's going to be a lot of changing coaching changes over the next couple of months, I would think. Because um, uh, we haven't had an announcement on the new Kiwi boss yet, have we? No. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on. I think apparently Sam probably says it's Ian Foster at the moment, doesn't it? Ian Foster or uh, Scott Robinson, Crusaders head coach. Um, the Highlanders head coach, Tony Brown, ruled himself out. So, yeah, watch that space. That's noble of him when you know you're not going to get the job. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I think Ian Smith's got more of a chance than any <laughs> the Highlanders boss. I'm, uh, I'm ruling myself out, lad. Yeah, <laughs> That's the point exclusive. Like the exclusive of Tom Hitchner has ruled himself out of the New Zealand job. On the ticker tape on Sky Sources. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sky, Sky Sources understand Tom Hitchner. <laughs> <laughs> he will not take the New Zealand job. Oh, God. Right. Um, another sort of quick one. Quite enjoyed. Uh, Edinburgh qualified player named in the... Uh, in the Melbourne Rebels Super Rugby squad for next year, uh, perfectly named Harry Potter, which I, I can't imagine. You're not, he's already gone. Hitch is already gone. I, th- well, I, think, I think we can all agree that there's nothing funny about that and that there will be no jokes made to that end at any point ever. Uh, no, no. Rugby past the Aussie, the Aussie the Oh, yeah, the, the, Aussie... wing, the wing wizard. No, the Aussie, the Aussie commentators love a good pun as well, don't they? They love being really excitable as possible. Just thinking, they're rubbing their hands of glee at what they can say. Where's he play? Because oh, if he's like a boy, maybe I'll say a lot. No, he's a wing. Apparently, he's never, he's never, he's seen the films but never read any of the books. And he says people make jokes I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> Not the game show, David. <laughs> uh, his scrummaging is a wizardry yeah I'm, I'm just picking all I can hear is Australian just going that is magic <laughs> shut up don't do it right that um, is what and then he makes a mistake that is one of the unforgivable curses <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, I'm looking forward yeah. to this I might I might Watch every Rebel Super Rugby game just just on the yeah, chance yeah. that this happens. That's been one to keep an eye on for the pod, I think. Uh, right, speaking of Super Rugby, uh, Andrew Mertens has has been talking um, this week. Basically, his suggestion, which I think would have been ludicrous enough at the best of times, was that he thinks for the good of of rugby. The Super Rugby should be completely overhauled. They should scrap having South Africa involved and they should make a new Asian competition. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, I think they're also arguing to include Japan and possibly Fiji in that as well. And so, and he's basically saying, you know, oh, the quality of South African Super Rugby size hasn't been up to scratch. 
forgetting that South Africa are world champions. I mean, not you know they don't pick many over they don't pick that many overseas players really, and the Lions have made what three finals in a row. The Lions have been generally you know pretty consistent. So I can't help just thinking he's chatting shit to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna go there. That's one. Yeah, you know I'll probably agree with you, mate. I'll I probably agree. I'm mean, listening. It might be the case that if we need to incorporate another Asia team. And we need to incorporate a Japanese team as he's suggesting. Maybe there needs to be another South African team that might need to be dropped if the standard of it is not uniform across the board. But there's no reason you can't just kick them all out because, you know, it's the country the World Cup winners came from. It just seems, it would seem an odd choice. Well, well, there's been arguments that we'd incorporate them into Europe. Yeah. European setup. Oh, yeah, because that's worked so well for the Southern Kings, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's, in terms of geography, South Africa to Australia is nearly equivalent to, I don't know, London to South Africa. You know, it's it's kind of like in the middle of all these, in between Argentina as well and South America. So in terms of geography, it could make sense, but I don't know. It's, yeah, it's like I, a hell of a restructure. I can't see it myself. But I just think I get annoyed slightly by the fact that Mertens is suggesting that so that uh, so it reduces the problem of Australian and Kiwi sides losing their young talent to clubs overseas. So basically, they're going. Oh, so, oh, sorry. Just we're going to kick South Africa out because we're not good enough. It's like mm. Mm, I'm not quite sure I'm following your logic there, Mertz. I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, you you go back to drinking whiskey and whatever farming. I don't know. I don't know what he do he does these days. But um, uh, just basing off most of New Zealand, probably drinking whiskey and farming. Um. <laughs> right. Um. One thing we do need to touch on which is not as much of a laughing matter is Tom Smith uh, if, uh, who did, came out uh, with the news in an interview this week that he's been um, he's been suffering with, uh, with cancer uh, at a, a quite advanced stage if anyone hasn't listened to the interview he did with um, with Eleanor Oldroyd it really is worth going to listen to because the way that he's approaching this is um, is admirable I think there's been some, some just some terrifying stats coming on that. He's saying he reckons he lost about 17 kilos in two weeks mm. when he was first uh, undergoing his treatment. Uh, but yeah, the um, uh, the way he speaks about it in that interview with Eleanor Aldred is is really fascinating to listen to, and uh, only only applaud the guy and the way he's approaching it. So go and listen to that if you haven't. And um. The, the the best thoughts of, of all three of us go to go to Tom Smith and his family. Yeah, uh, when I first started going to Saints in um, 2007, we had Tom Smith. We had the back end of Tom Smith. He was a um, he joined the club uh, I think in 2005, and we gave us like five good years before he retired. He was always a great scrummager and also good around the field. But he was um, from what I've seen in the interview and what I've read, he's a very sort of um, softly spoken guy unassuming guy but when you put him on the pitch he was a hell of a player two-time British Lion so you know yeah uh, echo that all the best to him and um, yeah yeah it's a terrible thing but you know he's he's determined to fight it yeah he's a brave man and he's 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 approaching it in a way that I think he he should be he should be very proud of so yep everyone's everyone's thoughts continue to be to be with with Tom Smith at, at the with everything he's going through and um, we all hope for the best um, 
a comment worth bringing up because uh, basically I've noticed that the French referees uh, in Europe are quite adept at using English when dealing with English sides. Uh, and then when there was a slight double standard in that, I felt in the sense that when English referees started to use French back to French players, they ended up getting slightly sort of ridiculed for it, um, which I think sends the wrong message. Andy Goode uh, was kind of on both sides of it almost. Uh, had JP Doyle uh, using French to Claremont's players during during the also Claremont game on Friday night, uh, and Andy Goode kind of was. I think I think he was applauding him using it, but I think he kind of argued that. Doyle slightly missed the point in a sense, in a, by using it to a team that only actually had five French players in the starting lineup. Yeah, so, he kept doing it to Racker as well, who probably did better English and French, but yeah, 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 um, it's commendable. It's commendable. It, yeah, it's it's worth um, it's worth pointing out actually that yeah, it, I think it's something that England English ref should be doing more of, to be honest. Yeah, I know yeah. Luke Pierce and Wayne Barnes try and do it to French sides. Um, Wayne Barnes even is quite good actually. Yeah, yes, even just basic phrases would not be hard for the English Irish. Well, Scottish, Tom, your favourite Alan Roland, he was fluent in French as well. Yeah? He oh, was, yeah, he's, he's fluent in French, yeah. He's not my favourite. George Clancy's my favourite. Oh, sorry, I apologise. It's George Clancy. Nothing against Roland. No, I've nothing against Roland. Sorry, that's a horrible slander against Alan Roland. <laughs> Alan Roland. Alan Roland. Oh dear, George Clancy's yellow card's gone. <laughs> George, George uh, we're not going to. George, we're not going to talk about George Clancy. He's not Beyond. done anything. He's not been anywhere. So we're gonna we're gonna leave that. I've never seen Tom so angry. Gone. Right. Um, yeah, I know that was that was fuel full fury. Well, even that was nothing to do with what he was like watching the game. I could hear. I can remember the messages he was sending. It was everyone was spiked with pure fury. <laughs> Um, right. Anyway, um, let's go to let's go to to, to Pinley against Sutton Coldfield, which um, not a sentence I thought you'd ever say, Jack. But obviously, the game we're looking forward to uh, this weekend. But um, uh, the game in uh, it's Midlands Two West South, so you know the big leagues um, played out uh, a nil-nil draw. Uh, which is a game uh, something that's only played happened seven times in, uh, uh, at any uh, at any level in, worldwide. I think since the Second World War. So I, I, you almost want to say that that's commendable, but then you think about it and you go, no, it's not though. <laughs> it's it's I, very uncommendable. I think, I think I've played in five nil and seven nil, but never nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I specialist. I've played a th- I've played a three niller before. Yeah, three oh, niller. I've seen, I've seen a few three nillers. We won three nil, but yeah, I've had some had some horrible games. My favourite part of this My favourite was <laughs> good lord. My favourite part of this was uh, Pinley President Gary Marks uh, was spoken to by the BBC about it. Uh, said the um. Uh, the match, which featured six six missed penalties, yeah. including one from right in front, a yellow card, and, fi- and a ball dropped five metres from an open try line, uh, was a lot more entertaining than the scoreline suggests. 
Um, the conditions weren't actually that bad. It was cold, but the rain held off and our pitch held up well. <laughs> the two defences just won the day. I, I, like the top, I like the top line where he said the game had everything except one. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't a bad game at all. Marcus also said it wasn't a bad game at all. But if they played on for another thirty minutes, nobody still would have scored. <laughs> oh, I, I really enjoyed that. To be honest, I, that was a, that made me happy. Well, there was there was a three niller earlier, wasn't it, between Leinster and Treviso? Yeah, so it, can yeah. To the, it can happen to the best of us. It's not just the Sunday league, Saturday afternoon. It, it's, stuff. it's classic sort of amateur level shithousery, isn't it? Absolutely. He's sworn again. The last time it was understandable, but he's gone for it again. He is a hope. Well, you know, he is we, a, we, is he the one I felt like this, star, star, star once. I felt, I felt, you know, this pod was getting far too PG and it needed spicing up. The attitude era comes to the rugby pod. The uh, <laughs> right uh, final one for you, scoops this week. Uh, Semi Rodrigo reportedly willing to take a massive pay cut to return to rugby league. Which would be a shame for you because he, he's been one of the best players in the world since he since he made the transition from the Parramatta Eels and the yeah. NRL. But uh, he's apparently homesick in France and wants to return to Australia, which I can sympathise with. But uh, he's you know, reportedly willing to take the money to sign with them um, uh, with South Sydney, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Which it would be a shame, but I I don't think I could begrudge him for it. And we can just say that he's been a fantastic servant, even not maybe not always in the easiest circumstances but has been a great servant to Union in his time yeah well uh, the, we put him in our World Cup team so he was that good mm. in, a, in a rubbish Fiji team so yeah it'd be a shame but you can't begrudge him he'd be a return home as well so fair enough agreed right uh, we're going to take another quick break uh, and we'll be back for to wrap up and do part three we'll be right back To, uh, the third and final part of this week's Scrums and Scrumpy. We're going to jump straight into, into Chloe's questions, which have been lovely. Lovely Chloe has supplied for us again. Peter Walton. Um. <laughs> Who is this gremlin, etc.? Get this gremlin off our payroll. <laughs> if anyone out there doesn't know what I'm talking about, just go, just type Spurs Ajax Peter Walton. YouTube and you will you will not be disappointed. Um, anyway, Chloe's uh, first question of the week: uh, who, the, the player least likely to believe the moon landings happened. Well, I'm going to say something like Johnny May because Johnny May's always been a bit of a kooky character, and I reckon he'd be yeah. into his conspiracy. This is a guy who was genuinely convinced, apparently, that he was a chick. He was possessed by a chicken. Yeah, he is. He's the chicken man. Brody, uh, Brody, Brody straight away. He's gone in there. He's gone there straight away. With Brody. Brody is like the Brody, 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 Brody now. It's Brody. Um, I was like, like Aaron Smith or something. Snacky moon landings actions. Snacky moon landing actions. So that's the other person Tom looks like, Aaron Smith. It's, it's just, it looks like the other person who'd be like, oh, bro, you know those uh, moon landings? Oh, yeah, bro. Oh, didn't you? You bro. You bet the moon landings, yeah. 
Didn't happen, bro. I do like after Thor Ragnarok, every New Zealander is just Korg, the rock alien. <laughs> As a joke, only me and Jack will get, Tom. Sorry about that one, man. Hey, thought that guy on the TV's calling me a dickhead again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right, um, who'd be, who's most likely to enjoy a model railway? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that made me chuckle so much. See, that's that's what that's actually where I was thinking I was going to bring Brody into this, just because someone who's just got such a childlike mind. I don't think he's got the. They take it very seriously, though. I don't think he's got that concentration and that dedication. Yeah. Oh. You need someone who's a bit of a, a nerd, but also like committed to it. Yeah. Well, they keep saying Carl Sinclair's a bit of a rugby nose. Get into it. Yeah, nose is different to a nerd, isn't it? What of it is that they're, they're, they call it a rugby nose is just someone that no is, is a rugby nerd. Mm, oh, fair enough. Mm. I don't know. Sam Whitelock. I can see him with his model trains. Gentle giant. He thinks he's massive caveman, but he comes out. Goes to the garage. By that same logic, I think Rory Best. Rory Best, yeah. yeah that's I, not I bad can bad. see that one. I like that one. I don't mind it. Not bad. Right, and third and final, who would you want to do a Bush Tucker trial with and why? Obviously, in honour of, of James Haskell in the jungle, <laughs> on I'm a Celebrity, who I've been loving, by the way. Although, whoever decided to make him king of the camp, you're a fool. Because that, that was only ever going to go to his head, and the sight of him sitting on his throne is frankly terrifying, because he's enjoying himself way too much. <laughs> but, yeah, in terms of actually doing trials with him, I'm going to say I... Say someone like Dylan Hartley, possibly just someone who wouldn't even think twice. Well, he will die. Somebody who just absolutely nails and gets on with it. Uh, yeah, Timala Harrison for me. A bit of a cave. Oh, troll. yeah. They have a cave troll. They have a cave troll. Because you need someone who's going to do the eating challenges with you. Yeah, you need, you need, the, mad, you need, the, mad, you need the maddest bastard, don't you? Shabal. Yes. Shabal, yeah. He'd scare like the snakes in the pit with yeah, him. He would. He'd, he'd like, run away, he'd run away from him. He'd give them a take, just kind of just go, and they'd all just piss off. I just remember my favourite one moment. Like, who's a singer from um, Blue Mondays? <laughs> the man guy. Well, from, from the Happy Mondays. Happy Mondays. Sean Happy Ryder. Mondays, Happy Mondays. Sean, and it's Sean Ryder swearing at a snake. Definitely my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've quite been quite enjoying Ian Wright just screaming like a child. <laughs> yeah, oh, he does. Night last night was so funny. Like screaming at the snakes. It was so the man funny. makes the oddest sounds I think I've ever heard. I absolutely love it. Right. Um, oh yeah, right. So we've got the the much wanted return now of uh, take that, rewind it back, and we're going to do a rather topical topical one this week. We are saying, what would the rugby landscape look like today if Saris had been given the punishments they've been given now in 2016 when they were when the first allegations of salary cap problems emerged. It's an interesting. Um, it's an interesting one to think about this for me because it just doesn't. It doesn't just affect the club scene either. I mean, Tom's Tom's looking like he's ready to go. Yeah, he's off. Well, I've I've actually in the break when we decided this, I've actually done some research, some homework. So it was. What was the punishment? Thirty-five points. Is that right? Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> they would, if you'd implemented that, they would have come eleventh. Uh, so they would have Bristol got relegated that season with twenty points. They'd have got thirty-two points. So that's is, this, a, is this sorry? Is it sixteen seventeen, Tom? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, my maths is wrong. Oh, they would have been in a relegation scrap. Put it that way. They'd have been no. They'd have been tenth. Sorry, they'd have been tenth. Yeah. Um, they would have lost the raft of players. Yeah. Let's face it, because you know who do want to go join there. They wouldn't have had this sort of juggernaut. They only came third that season anyway. Wasps actually came top of the regular Premiership. Chiefs yeah. knocked them out in the semi-finals that year. Um, yeah. They wouldn't have been able to recruit. They, I think, they would have recovered from it, but they wouldn't have been this mega juggernaut they are now. And they'd have probably been what Bath are now, a yo-yo club in terms of inconsistency and not even getting in the Champions Cup every year, I would argue. So I don't think it'd be that exciting that they'd be relegated or anything like that, but I don't, there's no way they would be the, the powerhouse they are now without basically cheating. So that's what I reckon. Um, yeah, and sort of by that logic, you'd say the only, you'd write off the... Um, 2019 uh, uh, Champions Cup they won. You'd write off the 2017 one they won. I mean, they wouldn't have qualified for that tournament anyway. Uh, Oh, no, sorry. You'd give them the 2017 one they'd win, but the 2019 Championship, um, you'd say, well, they wouldn't have... Maybe, let's say they get back to top four next season, but they're not far away from the best team. So they're in a group of Saracens, Glasgow, Blues and Leon. They're going to get through that. Then you've got the quarterfinals. You've got Glasgow again. They'll probably get through that. But then they've got Munster in the semi-final. Munster beat them this time because Munster have got the home draw. Munster go through to a semi-final against Leinster uh, in the first ever final between the two Irish sides. And then, uh, yeah, maybe I'm going to say maybe Leinster squeak it. Maybe Leinster squeak it with their slightly better team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't mind a bit of that. It's an interesting one to think about. I'm going to say that in the, uh, this day now, during this 2019 World Cup, Owen Farrell will be playing in the NRL instead of playing Union. Oh, he's and gone there. He's gone there. And the current incumbent England number 10 will be Freddie Burns. No. Let me explain. Right. So Sarri's get done. They, in choosing the players that they want to keep and want to offload, Andy Farrell's left the club by this point. Obviously, yeah. in, 20, in 2016, he's moved on. Uh, they ultimately receive a big money. Uh, Owen Farrell gets a big money offer from, from, from Wasps, I'm going to say. He goes over there. One season, isn't enjoying it. Gets a big, gets a big chance to move back to league. Takes it. Goes, goes the Luther Burrell route. Uh, ends up in the NRL playing sort of a maybe maybe mid-range NRL team, but but making his way. Um, obviously, then you left George Ford naturally ascends into the number ten shirt, but George Ford really struggles without you know without Farrell around and as as the primary playmaker, he's shown that he's had struggles before. Those come to those come to bear, and he's still won't pick Danny Cipriani. Um, and you sort of think about who. 
actually put in a decent performance when on his last kind of outing in the England squad, which was you know in New Zealand in what twenty four fourteen sixteen twenty sixteen might have been in New Zealand. Freddie Burns. I thought twenty fourteen anyway. I thought twenty fourteen was the tour we went on. It might have been, but either way, he's, he he comes back into reckoning for actually having a decent record playing for England. Freddie Burns takes the number ten shirt, and mm. England don't still don't win the World Cup. Yeah, would, as Tricky said, would would Faz still play standoff in league? Um, I think so. I think he'd be a running five eighth. I'd probably yeah. say, but yeah. Yeah, that'd be he's interesting. Nails, I, he, he could do it. He could do it in league. He's nails. Stick him at prop. Yeah, I was. I was thinking about who was going to be number ten shirt. And I was trying to find like a really rogue workaround to say that, like in twenty nineteen, the the you know the the first choice in number ten was going to be like I don't know. I couldn't even find well, one. Actually, weird, like, you saw find the... weird, like Callum Sheedy or something, but. Well, sticking with Luther Burrell, sort of the Ford Farrell axis really got cemented on that Australia tour, and Burrell actually started the first game at 12. So maybe with Farrell away doing league, perhaps Burrell keeps his place, and England go into this tournament still with that not 100% sure who their best centre partnership is. And maybe they struggle. And maybe Luther Burrell doesn't go off to league. Maybe he's, maybe he finish it, maybe he'd be sitting here. After going to World Cup, finally, with thirty odd caps to his name, who knows? He's captain of Northampton Saints. He is Faramir. Interesting to know. <laughs> Chance for Luther Luther Burrell, captain of Saints. Captain of Saints. Quality. Nah. Well, it's interesting. There's there's so many permutations you can take from that at club and international level. So it's an interesting one to think about. But there we are. Uh, we're going to wrap up this week, wrap up this week's pod. We're going to quickly run through the Premiership fixtures for the upcoming weekend uh, and get the, get quick fire predictions, one word answers from everyone. And I mean one word answers this time because I've said this every time the last two weeks and last time we've done a pod and one of you's ignored me. So one word answers. Uh, sorry, on Friday night, Bath against Saracens at the Rec. Saracens. Saracens, yeah. Oh, he's going to say the Somerset. He's going to say the Somerset. Saracens. Did think about it, but Saracens. Uh, extra Chiefs against Wasps, Sandy Park. Chiefs. Chiefs. I'm Chiefs. Say. Wasps haven't been good enough for me yet. Saints against Tigers, uh, Franklin's Gardens. I think Saints. I think it'll be. A, I think it will be close because derby games always seem to get a bit niggly. Yeah, I can see if we win Tigers winning that, but I just think I think Saints will win it. At Frank, if at Franklin's Gardens, right? Yeah, yeah, but I can yeah, see I'm it. Have Saints. We have a terrible record at Road, but I reckon we'll be in my home. I'm going to stir the pot, Tigers. I can yeah. see it. I can potentially see it. Who knows? Maybe is Ford was Ford playing in the challenge? Ford, the Ford goes out the window in games like this. Well, were the England boys back over the Challenge Cup period, or are they sort of? Uh, is this going to be, be a weekend? They will be by now. Mm. We'll see. Uh, right, Worcester against Sale at six ways. I say I'm Worcester. Going, I'm, going, I'm going Worcester. I'm going Sale. Um, Worcester have been really impressive this season. I think for me, they've been the surprise package. Yeah, but I think this this uh, 
yeah, this, this sale side are just going to find a way to get it done, I think. Uh, Bristol against London Irish, uh, Ashton Gate. Bristol. Got to be Bristol. Fortress, isn't it? Yeah. Irish, again, have been also been another oppressive team, but uh, Bristol yeah. have been a good. Bristol have been standout so far. And Quinns against Gloucester at the stoop. Probably the hardest one to call this to me. I'm going to go Quinns. Both teams, but yeah, you know, again, both teams are really struggling for form. We've disappointed this season. You know, I can see Gloucester winning that. And that's not me picking against my team just because I really. You're hedging your bets. I'm really, I'm really a bit I'm worried about this. I'm a bit worried about this. Quinns you're team you're hedging, you're hedging your bets, you are. You're just going, it's all right if we lose now because I've got that hidden hidden little prize myself of knowing I've got my prediction right. Yeah, exactly. Like when I guess South could win this World Cup. Good point. Tom? Uh, I've said. Oh, I've said. You? Yeah, I've said. I've said. I've got to talk louder. Sorry, gloss, yeah. Good. All right. Uh, and that about wraps us up for Scrubs and Scrubby for this week. Uh, as usual, follow us at Scrubs and Scrubby Pod on Twitter. Uh, all our individual ones are on there as well if you want to follow the rest of us, but can't can't see why you'd want to, frankly. Uh, email us scrubs and scrumpy at gmail.com if you fancy doing that. Uh, but otherwise, it's, uh, it's goodbye from, from these two fine gentlemen. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. So I was waiting for Tom to go first, but he didn't. <laughs> I'll be courteous. Oh, they're so polite. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's goodbye for those two. It's goodbye from me. And, yep, yeah, we will see you next week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the Premiership, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.